Good morning, everyone. Let's just pause to pray. May the words of my lips and the thoughts of all our hearts be now and always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. We believe in one holy, Catholic and apostolic church. Today we continue our series looking at what those three words mean for us here as God's church in Hampton. This morning we have part two. Ben led us off with part one last week of what it's meant by being holy, a holy church and holy people. The idea of holiness in the Old Testament comes, first of all, from the nature of God himself. In the absolute sense, God alone is holy. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 2, God commands Moses, he says, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Holiness is a complex idea, but applied to God, it's about awe-inspiring greatness, separateness from all around, and absolute, uncompromising purity compared to any other being. And so in the Old Testament, all the special places, structures and objects used in worship for God are described by extension as holy. They're not holy in themselves, as God is holy, but because they're used for the sole purpose of worshipping a holy God, so they are to be kept separate. And so it is with God's people. <clears throat> he commands them that they too should be distinctive, set apart from the surrounding nations, being dedicated to God's service and reflecting God's nature in their lives and in the life they share. When we come to the New Testament, we discover that in human terms, only Jesus is holy, sharing in the holiness of God the Father and the Spirit. Jesus is totally dedicated, completely set aside for God's work in the world. In the Gospels, we see how clearly distinctive Jesus is from those around him. He is completely focused on God's purpose for his life and in showing the nature and the characteristics of God expressed in human flesh. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, St. Peter reminds his Christian readers of that Leviticus text which we read earlier. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. As the Holy Spirit works in us as Christians, and together as a church, we need to be transformed 
to become more and more like Jesus, who is the perfect embodiment of a holy nature of God in human life. And that will inevitably mean being distinctive, standing out from the world around us. And when the Bible uses the word world, it means the world which is going in the opposite direction to God and his purposes for human life. So we must become holy, even though as fallible human beings, we'll never be perfect in that sense. Holiness is a much misunderstood concept in today's world. People outside the church can think of it as being somehow pious, in a superior sort of way. Someone has said, too heavenly minded to be no earthly use, or too good to be true, and at the risk of seeming hypocritical, because Christians clearly aren't as perfect as some might like people to believe. And perhaps some people view Christians as defining themselves by what they don't do, rather than what they do. There's a story told of a Christian missionary working with a remote tribe. After some time, the chief of the tribe calls the missionary and asks him, how can I become a Christian? They had a long, long conversation, at the end of which the chief said, do you mean, if I become a Christian, I won't be able to lie with my neighbor's wife? I won't be able to raid the neighboring tribe, kill their warriors and steal their cattle? Well, I can't do any of those things anyway, because I'm too old. <laughs> so, being a Christian must just be the same as being old. <laughs> or perhaps I'm a Christian already. We mustn't define ourselves as Christians by what we don't do or what we are against. We don't become Christians by giving things up. But when Jesus comes into our lives, they will need to change. Some selfish things will need to diminish and other Christ-like qualities will need to grow. And that will mean becoming different to many of the people in the world around us. It will mean challenging some of what appear to be false values in our society. It doesn't mean turning our backs on people who are not Christians and acting somehow as if we're better than they are. But it does mean not being influenced by some of their apparent values or goals. In our reading this morning from Colossians chapter 3, St. Paul talks about transformation. Not a physical transformation, but a mental and spiritual change. In verse 1 of that chapter he says, So, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Christian believers are described in Paul's letters as saints. Not perfect people, too good to be true, but people who have been sanctified 
and the word saint and sanctified come from the same root. That means set aside for God's service, just like the furniture in the temple. Don't suppose you've ever thought of yourself as being a bit like furniture. But it means set aside for God's service, warts and all. And some of the warts may be a long time in going away. We've been raised to new life with Jesus. And that should affect every aspect of our thinking and acting from then on. But it's not an instant transformation into perfect people. It's a process in which we need to work with God to become like Jesus, because that's how we become holy. And doing that against the background of a culture that's often going in the opposite direction. A lifestyle which St. Paul describes as earthly or worldly. Being holy, being a saint, as we're called to be, means being different in positive ways to the world around us. We can only become holy through the work of Jesus on the cross and the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Jesus stood out from the people of his age in a unique way. Those who follow him effectively in actions, not just in thoughts and words, will also stand out inevitably from the majority of people in an age in which they live. It means not just being different, but being different in the right way. In verses 5 to 8 of our reading this morning, Paul lists a pretty ugly set of undesirable and ungodly, but rather common characteristics in Colossian society. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. There are, of course, some good features in our society, but on the debit side, not a lot seems to have changed in 2,000 years. And the church has often tended to equate the first three on Paul's list, the sexual sins, with immorality, and give them a high priority. But Paul's list is not necessarily in any order of demerit, and certainly not exhaustive. Jesus didn't allocate points to different sins. A sin is a sin. They all come from the same source of selfish inclinations, which then lead us into selfish behavior. And that list doesn't cover some of the negative values in our 21st century world either. Our media-saturated society places a disproportionately high value on how we look, what we can achieve, how much wealth we can accumulate, or what celebrities we can admire and emulate to gain popularity. Slagging off 
anybody who doesn't agree with us, because of course we are right, is very much in evidence in our current climate, along with really harsh criticism for other people's perceived failures. These are some of the false gods of our age. Values that people live by. Things that their lives become centred around. St. Paul might have added one or two of those to his list if he'd been writing an epistle to the Hamptonians or a letter to the Twickenhamians. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, St. Paul says quite clearly, in effect, don't let this God-denying world squeeze you into its mould, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As it wasn't in Paul's day, so in our contemporary culture, there's enormous pressure to conform, to belong to the majority, to fit in with those around us. And if we're honest, most of us feel more secure if we can blend in with the people around us. But if the majority of people are not going God's way, the challenge is to swim against that current. That will lead us to stand out, to being misunderstood probably in many occasions, being dismissed perhaps as odd, or even finding ourselves on the receiving end of discrimination. St. Paul has listed for us a whole raft of unpleasant characteristics, to say the least, and I've added one or two more. They're all results of living a self-centred, self-indulgent life, which in the end we know will meet with God's righteous anger and condemnation. The effect of our faith in Jesus' death and resurrection should be to turn us inside out, to put to death our instinctive selfishness and all those things that it can produce to strip them off like soiled clothing in order to put on a completely new outfit designed for us around the qualities of Jesus, qualities of true holiness, which will make us distinctive in a world where they're in short supply. And so Paul goes on to list some of those things in verses 12 to 15. Compassion kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, peace, thankfulness, and above all, love. Many of those characteristics are in short supply in today's world. But when they're seen in us as individuals, as a church, then we identify ourselves with Jesus, with the right kind of holiness. We become part of a local and worldwide family of God with no barriers of race, culture or social status. And then as we live out 
those qualities of our newly transformed life. So individually and together, we will have a positive impact on the people we meet. And God will use us to remould the ungodly culture around us so that we become fruitful in His service as individuals and together as a church. So where does that leave us this morning as Christians and as God's church here in Hampton? Your mission as God's church here this morning, should you choose to accept it, is simply this, from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. As he who has called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all you do.